This is Shaka Ward Speak. Hey, Waka, <laughs> welcome. Welcome to Shaco Art Stink. I only say that because Dr. Snack Smell is not here. And normally when he smells, lying? well, when he, when he takes, he, he's the only one with the power to smell and like eliminate the stink. Cause then it goes into him. You see what so I'm saying? He draws it in. So he's not here to filter that like, out. Like, like the dude from the green mile. Yeah. So he's exactly. <laughs> we might have to restart this in your voice. So, so he's not here. So Cody is emanating uh, the smell of beef jerky and that's, that's other odors that I don't need in my life right now. Cause I'm supposed to try to be eating healthy. So that's a side note. We're also here. So we have Cody Spice here. Yes. So Code Red is here. I am back. Yeah. And um, we have Jano with us. Jano. Yeah. <laughs> Jano. Okay. <laughs> you know, I completely forgot to wonder what it was going to be. <laughs> yeah. Well, you said it earlier and I was like, well, we'll call him that for now. That's just a tentative because it's funny to me that you said something about Jano and then, or you said J-Lo. I don't and, remember saying yeah, J-Lo. Yeah, you did in my mind. <laughs> and, then I, and then in my mind, I said Jano. And so we're just calling it that for right now. But That's in like all like seriousness. of Jay Leno. Yeah. Which is a ah. completely other person <laughs> that is neither like you nor J-Lo. Yeah. It's like if, if you had to create one person that was the total opposite of both you and J-Lo, it would be Jay Leno. Okay. <laughs> I vibe with that. <laughs> I, I, I got to stop or I'm going to start laughing too much. I do have to wonder if. Cody just clarified. Cody did clarify. <laughs> Sorry, Gareth. <laughs> Hello. Cody clarifies. So, uh, no, but in all seriousness, our brother and dear friend, Josh Williams is with us, who's a fine artist and UX designer, husband, father, brother, part of our crew. So like he may be newish to you. He's been on here before, but He's not newish to us. He's kind of a, in the, he's steadily in all of our conversations as one of the conversationalists and the doers of our group of doers. So, yes. Uh, so welcome on air, Josh. Thank you very much. Yeah. Hence our comfortability at kind of poking fun at him because it's not, <laughs> it's not new. Um, this wasn't the first time. Not at all. Yeah. 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 So we don't have Dr. Black, uh, Blackwell with us. And, um, so Josh is Josh is joining the hot seat. That's right. Yeah, you got you got a um, a big seat to fill. Gareth is partying it up in down south, so yeah, he's not going to get some work to do. Sure, but um, so yeah, so we're coming with another episode. We do like a little forty-five minute episode, thirty-five minute episode. We're doing a. This is going to be like uh, make your brain tight focus because. Uh, the three of us together is super long winded. Mm -hmm. This is like, this is the chorus of long wind, but putting all three of us together. Nice. Is that fair to say? That's totally fair. Yeah. To say. So yeah, it's, <laughs> to pretty not un, it's pretty unusual for me to be in a situation where I might be the most concise person here right now. Yeah, you might be. And that's, yeah. 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 That just relativizes a lot. of. I, I rely on you to clarify. So I don't have to. <laughs> that's what I love about having you around. Hello. <laughs> That's called so complimentary. We'll see, we'll see where uh, Jano fits in the mix. Yeah, we will see for sure. But we're we normally call J Will. Do I call you J Will sometimes? You call me J Will a surprising amount. Yeah, depending yeah, on how I'm gonna feel to you. Sometimes I think J won't. Yeah, <laughs> J will, J there's free will and then there's J Will. That's we'll right. talk about what J Will is. <laughs> um, uh, 
three questions. <laughs> yes. So what are we doing today? We're gonna we're gonna take our our three questions and put them on the table and see which one we grab. Okay. I got a question. I Who wants to go first? I got a question. I'm not going first. Why? Did I? Did no? Well, I guess Gareth went last time. First. No, you went first. first. Did I go? I think you did. No. He okay. Went, he went, he went first. first. Okay. He went first. I'm gonna go first. Go right, first, go first. <laughs> That's my bike. What is the role of artists and or designers in the building of a just society? Oh, that's a big one. Yeah, I didn't figure that'd be a single, okay. single parter. That could be a series, Josh. <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. All right, I'm not gonna comment on it. What do you got, Cody? What is the picture plane? Okay. Mine is, what do you do if you fail? Oh boy. <laughs> I like my question. <laughs> I like your question too. I feel it, I feel more uh, more able to speak like, on that one. I feel like we'll be asking Ryan's question after attempting to do Josh's question. <laughs> mm. <laughs> it's the fallback. I think here's what I do think. I think um, your question is so good that we'll you just birth the next series with Gareth and we'll have you back on. Boom. How about that? I'm down. Okay. That's what I think. We did not know your question. And I'm just going, oh, there's no way we can tackle that today. Yeah, no, I've been no, stewing on that one. You've been stewing on it. And and it just warrants uh, probably a couple episodes and it warrants Gareth being in here too. Word. So congrats. Thank you. You just established a, um, a nice, discreet, contained unit of podcast episodes for us. Dang, man. Yeah. Just like that. And with that, you're a great audience. And we'll no, I'm kidding. You've been listening to Shock Wars. <laughs> I'm just glad that we're doing this episode because it will be a absolute testament to how critical Gareth's presence is for us to focus. Yeah. On mm. Hey, well, here's well. the thing though. You said you were the most concise guy, and I just asked you what do you do if you fail? I don't think you can get more concise than that. That's pretty concise. Mm. That's pretty darn concise. Let's start counting uh the words in the Right. <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> this the next the next episode the question is me <laughs> <laughs> we good question good question <laughs> so i reckon we will actually tackle the what do you do when you fail let's do it let's okay because i can answer the picture playing question pretty quickly in in the fail question okay how about that let's do it yeah. all right all right so what do you do when you fail besides weeping I'm joking. Yeah, it's yeah. a joke, obviously. Yeah. Well, I um, heard someone say, "I get knocked down and I get up again." Okay, that's what people say for sure. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna be honest. What's failure? Okay. I don't know. Oh yeah, failure is the uh, non-actualization of a desired goal, or is it the actualization of a non-desired goal? I would say yes. Well, both perhaps. That would be an. an isn't that an unintended? I'm not ready for you guys today. Isn't that an unintended consequence? Why? Well, I, I guess the question is, failure is, is failure is uh, having a goal and not meeting it. There's so I think that's the thing is like uh, there's spinoffs from failure that we don't tend to account for. Yeah. In our initial estimations of what our goal is, so like I think there's a perhaps a more general cultural um, idea of what failure is, mm -hmm. and then there's a more actual, more full. Possibly more generous. So connotations and denotations. What does it denote and what are the connotations? Because mm -hmm. like cultural, con like you're a failure is a connotation. Mm -hmm. And so it's loaded with like implied meaning. Yeah, loaded with a lot of value. Yeah, value assumptions about your status, social status in society. Yeah. You're just, 
carte block of failure. So that's like a designation that I think is mm-hmm. echoing in the background. So if we took that and said that may not be helpful, mm-hmm. you know, so we'll push that off. So we're removing, are we also sort of setting aside any moral understandings of or ethical understandings of the Well, I don't family? know yet. Um, that I think that informs this conversation. Because that's a strong mm-hmm. connotation that people have yes. with failure. Yep. That's yep. right. So ethical, moral factors could contribute to why it is that somebody actually fails at a task mm-hmm. or, you know, I, cause I, I strategically said, what do you do when you fail? Yeah. What do you do when you fail? Mm. That was the question. So, so, you know, yeah. What do you do when you fail? Glancing at Cody Spice, looking up above the microphone. Cody's looking at a ceiling that has some Water stains on it. Yeah, I'm at it. <laughs> I won't say the ceiling's failing because that's no, a little. It's, it's not. It's doing its work. Yeah. Uh, part of what I do when I fail, at least at this point, not historically, but part of what I do now is rejoice. Mm-hmm. So like, uh, uh, failure is revelatory. Mm-hmm. So like, um, uh, there's the. Mm, I like that you left the the moral failure aspect in there. Um, cause moral, moral failure is missing a mark. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and there has to be, um, like ethics have to play in because otherwise we don't have criteria for what are suitable goals for us. Mm-hmm. Um, so like all of that being bound together, like, uh, the missing of the mark, um, more plainly reveals what is actually the case of myself. Um, and like historically, that was mad crushing because I had overestimations of myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but it like, so you would say in that sense, you're actually failing to rightly see yourself. Yeah. So they're not actual failings in in your actuality. In fact, based on where you're actually at, you might have been succeeding, mm-hmm. but with a poor sense of yourself, perceiving your successes as a failure. Totally. Yeah. yeah. That's why. To be able to say I succeeded or failed requires an object of reference. Mm -hmm. And so to designate one thing as failure, not to like play word games, but you could redefine like what the object of success is and then it becomes success. Mm -hmm. So like what I'm saying is a single action could be both a failure towards A and a success towards B. So one of the implications is to what it, it's, it becomes, the question it assumes like an, um, an open-ended. The reason why I asked it that way and why I thought of it that way is because want, you want to see where you guys go with your response. My first response is, well, what's the scale yeah. and consequence of the failure? Yeah, totally. Because that determines what I do and how I feel about it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and how I think through it, mm-hmm. you know, did they get back up or whatever, you yeah. know? So, um, some failures you can't. So when the president fails, it may mean the whole country fails, right? Totally, like totally. what do you do? Yeah. When it, right. So it's, it's funny. I've been listening to a podcast about, um, Julius Caesar and all about mm-hmm. like the Roman politics that were going on. It's like, what happens when, a a yeah, governing institution of a certain form fails or how do you even define failure? That's right. You know, as Caesar succeeding yeah. and the Senate's failing, wars are being fought. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, so you have you have your you have cri- you know criterion like you're saying you're glad that the ethical and moral is still kind of on the table a little bit because mm-hmm. you have to have a you have a context like like if I fail to make a basketball shot, 
well, then I just shoot it again. Mm -hmm. That's where a lot of that spirit of you get back up and do it again. It's like mm -hmm. boxing, right? Um, and then there's the stakes in the nature of what you have determined to do that you failed to do. Mm -hmm. And then there is there is this workability, like, can I try again? Is mm -hmm. that even in this the realm of possibility with regards to this? And so we tend to like cross pollinize isms out of context and then they just become like um, colloquial, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, um, ax maxims or something that we just kind of say and you're like, I don't know, like <laughs> you failed at your marriage. <laughs> yeah. You don't just kind of get up and do it again. Totally. And when yeah. people do, JLo, <laughs> you keep accumulating more rings. So, you know, whereas, but in basketball or in, so like in basketball, you know, if you, you make 30% of your shots, you're not playing anymore. Yeah. But in baseball, if you hit 30% of your swings, you're in the hall of fame. Mm -hmm. So that means you're hitting a lot. So depending on the nature of what it is, determines something about how you, you feel about the failure. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, I mean, I don't want to unpack it too far yet, but I'm just putting out these, you know, like, you know, like I said, like it, it, be, it becomes interesting. Like what scale do you go to, to begin to think about the question is, yeah. is telling, you know? Yeah. It's kind of funny. Cause I think there's a, I would say that our culture at this point has a big problem with failure in general. Like there's no coping with any range of it. Mm -hmm. Um, so like, I think folks are so, um, unable to handle the small scale stuff that the large scale stuff completely it's like you're just not even looking at that at all it's yes. like uh you're so myopic or so like zoomed into this tiny thing that you're not able to get over that like the big thing you can't even you can't even see what's going on yeah so you either pretend that it it's i think to your point like it becomes like um you just you just you just act like it's not there yeah and that the biggest thing is the thing that you're you're grappling with absolutely and that's yeah. the myopia mm -hmm. you know or relativize success and failure to your personal emotions about how you yeah. felt about the outcome and yeah. that's why i push or not push against but like sidestep the point you were making about how we can relativize only because it's totally true that we can and that comes back to your point about uh by what metric mm. what's the measuring stick for success so if you start to look at the examples I use with sports. Well, there's uh, rules that govern the game and um, stipulate certain normative behaviors that constitute playing the game. And within that, there's uh, possible freedoms that emerge without violating the game. Mm -hmm. And that makes up that milieu. And, and then people live in that milieu or aggregate around it, enjoy that milieu, and that becomes a cultural thing. Yeah. So that's kind of what we do, you know. So right now we're living in a exceedingly lawless, uh, actually a, a very relativistic lawless society. Certainly, yeah. um, where laws are opinions uh, held in in terms of the masses, and whoever has the most power, whoever controls the narrative. To go back to an earlier episode, and can. Um, um, dictate based on that mm -hmm. controls what happens and how we think about failure and success, et cetera. Like what is life? You know, how do I, how do I live? Um, so there's, yeah. So anyhow, um, and then there's just the nature of the question as being a personal question. Like, mm -hmm. what do you do when you fail? Yeah. What do you, what do you really do? Do you ignore it? Do you, you know, um, cause I think a pattern of failing, failing at things, can compound to where you feel lesser failures 
in a harsher way. Mm. To, you know, like um, kind of to your point about like when you minimize the world and maximize your own efforts, then you feel less bad about big failures mm. because the truth is you're much smaller. And so the, the perceived smaller failure, failures feel bigger because you're not actually contending with those. You're only contending with hypotheticals. Mm-hmm. So you're like, yeah. And you have a, an assumption that you really should be able to like control the small situations. Mm-hmm. So failing at something that's small doesn't, um, it doesn't align with an inflated self-opinion mm-hmm. that says, no, no, I shouldn't be failing at these small things because I'm really grappling with the big things out yeah, here, that's which right. is where I'm comfortable at the margins of my yeah. ability failing. Yep. Because you've already, because there's already a built-in, if I'm batting 200, I'm succeeding mindset. Mm-hmm. Whereas like in basketball, it's like, no, you got to make 90%. So like you, you already know that statistically it's improbable that you will succeed. So you've already agreed to, uh, uh, it's like a game, it's a facade, you know, right. so you're like, yeah, I'm probably not going to do this, but I'd like to think that I can. And that feels altruistic and important and it inflates my identity and all those things we talked about in the past. And so then you just, you know, you fail to do what you have had to relativize and minimize to something smaller. And it, you feel it in a big way because it actually is real. It can be crushing because now you're being crushed by something that you seek is small. That's acting big on you. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Because you're 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 discompopulated with your 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 reality, right? You know. So then, what do you do? Like, I know when I've been there, and when I'm there, um, I isolate. Hmm. A lot of art is built out of isolation. So that's kind of where where I was at with this question. Not yeah. that we have to chase that down yet. It's just to say, if I had to draw an implication from everything that I've just said is that a lot of people associate being an artist isolation in relationship to actually what I just described consciously or unconsciously. Do you think that's in relationship to an artist struggling with the global feelings of failure or feeling failure in one zone of life and then they isolate and turn towards making because they feel like they have more control or less like yes to both actually failure. i think those two can work together and make you so you go you go you know it's like the the husband that fails his family and he endlessly works on his house because mm-hmm. he can hammer a nail and feel successful mm-hmm. and if he can keep hammering and not and hear the noise of the hammer then he can ignore uh, his conscious reminding him of his failings as a father or a husband so I think, yeah, I think, you know, and then I think the succeeding as a father and a husband has global implications or at least yeah. local, local implications that become global at some point um, in the direction of flourishing other people. Mm-hmm. Just, uh, you know, sort of countering that with whether or not the locus of the feeling of failure is in the art making practice itself. Mm-hmm. So an artist isolates because they feel like they're not living up to what they want to achieve in their practice. Mm-hmm. And therefore, they're constantly sort of slaving away mm-hmm. under feelings of failure. So, yeah, that's just a question of whether or not it was the practice, failure within the practice that caused the isolation, failure mm-hmm. outside of the practice. I think sometimes it can be failure outside, and but it also could be in. But I think when you start filling within, you 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 have you you find different types of personalities. Some hunker down and they persist mm. and never arrive, or you know, at some goal that they have, or they do, and then and then 
the ends justify the means in their minds and the story writers of the people that write the story about their biography say, well, look at yeah. they persevered to the end and they got what they wanted. Yeah. I think that I probably fall into that second camp where, um, I think my capacity to double down is, uh, surprises even me. I think when I kind of come to a full realization of my failure, I think once it finally washes over me, then there's like a relenting. Um, but my initial, move probably is to bend well try to bend reality around me to my whim mm -hmm. to like to kind of uh make up for my shortcomings mm -hmm. so like if i am feeling as uh like as a father for example then it's like if i'm if i'm not in a place where i am reckoning with my own failure there then my children bear that mm -hmm. um and like I have inordinate expectations on them in order to make up for my shortcomings yeah because you're it's like rewiring the system it's like a reboot. It's like if there's a direct path of connectivity between you fathering your kids and them growing and then that's broken because of failure. And so you're trying to rewire it in mm -hmm. a way that doesn't actually work well. Right. Then it's it's bogging down, you know, uh, the circuit box or whatever because the wiring is miswired and it, it doesn't actually accomplish the goal because that's not the way it's fitted to. Right. It's not supposed to work that way. And so I think we see that a lot. And you see a lot of vicariousness of compensating through pressuring your kids to externally do what you can't do in your own internal walk or life or whatever. And like, that's a, I mean, that's a, you know, um, um, American society has been crushed by that mm -hmm. post-World War II. That was sort of part of the problem with a lot of folks coming back from the war is they were just like shell-shocked and done. They had high ideals for and hope for what America could be. But they weren't. Um, there was like a lot of soul care missing. There was right. a lot of internal work, inner life work that wasn't there. So you didn't have a lot of internal infrastructure for men to actually be what they should be. And then uh, households bore the brunt of that, mm -hmm. and then started to say, "Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna work for myself. I'm gonna replace the absence of this. That's the compensation in the wrong direction." Mm -hmm. And then it furthers a global impact or a local neighborly societal impact from the micro to the macro. Yeah. You know, so what you do actually in your, in your own. So like, let's take the guy who is really failing as a husband and a, a father and he spends more money at Lowe's. Well, he's mm -hmm. affecting the economy Word. and he's driving up inflation uh, because he's, he's uh, affecting supply and demand and it's creating a culture of therapeutic activity around home building, right. which is not an endless endeavor. Um, you know, it's like, it, here's an interesting thought. If you have capacity to endlessly build um, and you're free from guilt and shame and fear, you may build very different things that have much more of a public uh, societal influence in the, in the optimal positive sense. But that capacity is still there, but now it's been in. And so then you start endlessly pouring money into your house and the mm -hmm. way things look. And then that drives other people to want a house like yours. And you're skewing the flow of society away from its optimal best. I mean, I'm, I know I'm making leaps, but they're, but they're not, though. We saw that with COVID. Yeah. Um, uh, the inflation of materials went through the, through the roof. Partly that had to do with um, uh, you know transportation and resources and shenanigans yeah and then uh but also like everybody and their mom started working on their houses yeah well they they had to do something you know and so um that's a proxy example of what i mean when i say um over a period of time people that are meant to build society um ex like from a uh 
in to out expression can invert that to an out to in. I'm failing out here, so I'm going to move inwards and then refocus into a place where I can control my little sovereignty over my actions to medicate my sense of failing in my relationships. Yeah, it's a honestly, so taking a jump back to the basketball example that you gave earlier, um, if you miss a shot, okay, you just missed a shot. Mm -hmm. That is a failure. You didn't meet that goal, but its effects are minuscule. Mm -hmm. uh, they're local to the game, right? Yeah, because the game is made to factor failure in as a generative part of the game. Exactly. So someone gets a rebound to make a you pass. Playing, right? And the, the scale of failure has to do with how much time is left and who is winning. Yeah, mm -hmm. but then like say, uh, yeah, maybe, maybe that's not gonna be a good analogy. That's local, but then like, um, but then yeah. there's like, what happens if you miss 50 shots? What happens if you miss 50 shots or what happens if you elbow a player in the face? Mm -hmm. You know, that's a different type of failure. Like mm -hmm. you've, you've failed to like honor the other players. Mm -hmm. There's automatically a different like level of, um, of weight to it. It's like, that's moved from, okay, you just missed a shot factor into the game. Oh, uh, you've actually misstepped in terms of how we engage as people. And yeah, so if you accidentally elbow someone, that becomes an unintended consequence of the game, mm -hmm. but it's not part and parcel of the game. It's not taught as the game. So nobody is striving for that. It may happen and it may, to your point, come at a costly time as a failure of like floor, floor awareness, body awareness, whatever, mm -hmm. in the heat of the battle, that kind of thing. But you're not building the game off of that. That's not what the game is situated on. Yeah. So, so then it can become, to your point, very costly. Um, but then there's points in the flow of things where it may not be as costly. Mm -hmm. You know, it could be costly to the guy who breaks his nose. That that sucks. It could be a foul. That's part of the game. It's expected, but it's not. It's not. It's not what you're striving for. It's what happens as a result of striving. Yeah. And so, so the question is: Are you striving towards the right things? Unintended consequences towards the right things are different than unintended unintended consequences towards the wrong things, mm -hmm. which is a moral and ethical conversation for another yeah. day. But yeah, but the point is, like, there's clarity about the nature of the game and what the rules are. And, you know, when you think about sports, and sports isn't trivial in that it gives us a picture of what's, how things can optimally flourish when the rules are actually at play properly. Mm -hmm. And when people understand the rules and they start to see the freedom within the rules. And so, in a way, it's a microchasm of what society could be like. Mm -hmm. But in a lawless society, then you don't see beauty or flourishing or cohesion you see implode and instruction like well it's, it's yeah it's funny like imagine if everyone decided you know basketball we're just going to take a break from that or all the players are like yeah you know this is hard um it requires a lot of work i think the more important thing for me right now as a basketball player is to start renovating this court because mm -hmm. I've got some ideas about how we can make this court a lot cooler. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm struggling to like be good at the game basketball, but I really think there could be a lot of value if I channeled a lot of my energy and successfully rebuilt this court. Mm -hmm. And then you just had a, like what would it do to the sport of basketball for everyone to turn in that direction and just endlessly spend time building these like super weird esoteric basketball courts. You're describing yeah. art history in some ways. <laughs> because a lot of art history historians are true. You know, they, there's those that it's never everyone, but there's a lot of people that are like, yeah, I want to be an artist and they're either bitter because they failed to do it or they're not, which is great when they're not, they just mm -hmm. discovered that they're not suited for it. But a lot of them have failed. They're bitter. They don't like it. And now they're 
art historians. Yeah. And so what does that mean? Well, art, that means that there's some mojo and vibe wedded to art history that is not warm to actual contemporary artists. Yeah. And so it actually, to your illustration, is a detriment and creates infighting that becomes institutionalized and then it becomes cultural as a, a norm. Oh, we always argue over how money should be distributed. Mm-hmm. We always argue over who the authority is. We always avoid each other. We that's that's cultural. That's institutional. That's what that's what they do. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, we we failed. And so this is further iteration of the failure. Yeah, this is this is yeah, not reckoning with the failure, which yeah. means that we're going to ruin the game for everyone else. Whereas I think good art, <laughs> art historians probably should know less and make more. Mm. So it's like a you, by comparison, you know a little less and you make a little more, so you're a little more rounded. No less. No less within regards to art, his, art like history, less specialization in art make history. Make more art history or make, make more yes paintings. Make more art history. Make okay, so like be makers. Be themselves. a maker wedded to the knowing, and then what that does is that creates more space for more waker, makers that are wedded to the knowing. So you have more people carrying less of the load. Mm. Okay, That's an interesting thought. Which would also be the case as a as a picture of like dads actually is a just an example. Yeah. That's really interesting that you say that. So more people striving to do less, striving to do cover less, in, less. Cover less in one specialized area. In one specialized, but then being more productive in their work. Yep. Distributed everywhere. Yeah. Like, so like instead of just being in, in an ivory tower, you're actually never stopped painting. And which means that some of that time is distributed across painting. Well, why? Because then you'll have people in your studio and you'll have a present tense relationship to what you're doing, which will mean it'll be harder for you to idealize the people of the past into overcompensating biographies that dig deeper and deeper in so you can keep substantiating your own need to compensate for your failure by succeeding to elucidate more in a person's life than is actually there to elucidate because history is opaque at some level. Yeah. So what you get is academics that write papers and drudge up things that are utterly irrelevant to a contemporary context in most respects, but are actually relevant to their sustaining of their professorship or their practice and their laddering up through the institution, which is now failing in a lot of cases. Yeah. So that is connecting in my head back to earlier when we were talking about failure and over imagining your capability as an individual yeah. and under addressing the real things that are close to you mm-hmm. actually within your scope to do and mm-hmm. failing at those little things and then striving for these large things. That's our failure. society right now. Yeah. But that maps onto what you just described for art historians. So mm-hmm. your, your suggestion for art historians is something that is the inverse of that mode of yep. failing, which is yep. just really interesting how that all clicks together. Yeah. Um, so art historians maybe have a tendency to get too big in their ideas of what they're doing with their art history making mm-hmm. and could scale down, localize, mm-hmm. make space for more people to do art history. Yeah, it's like the default move of becoming more connected to making, let's say, means that you're a little less cranky about the fact that you don't make and you feel like a failure because you wanted you know, not to go there again, but you wanted, you overinflated what you thought you wanted and didn't succeed at that. And so now you're bummed and you burrow harder in to prove yourself in a direction that cre- that um, creates an inflation of sorts, a decivilizing, mm-hmm. because now you're putting pressure on other people to be seen as empirically academic 
further out of reach until it becomes absurd, kind of like the dollar. You keep messing with the value, it loses it just loses its value, right? Yeah. So through inflation, like it becomes absurd, becomes a clown money. And so you got PhDs that have become clown money. Mm-hmm. And then what does that do? Well, it implodes academia. That's what's happening. Yeah. So the, why, why, and the question is why? Well, because people failed and yeah. they didn't know what to do as a result of failing. Yeah. So in, instead of uh, reckoning with it, we shift. I think that's like a pretty standard move is to shift it away. Yeah. Blame so, shift. So like um, to your point, as far as like uh, maybe be less of a big brain historian, which is not ne- like not necessarily be less of a proficient historian, yeah. but like um, don't make. Uh, that being a historian compensate for failures in other areas. Or you you would say diagnose the fact that you wanted something more from art while giving less to the making of it. Mm. And you weren't honest with yourself. Yeah. So one, you gotta be truthful. Yeah, for sure. So if you're not truthful, then it's not going to happen, which is easier said than done. And then two is like, um, societies don't build well in bitterness. Mm. Bitterness doesn't build society. Yeah. Bitterness doesn't build a healthy marriage. doesn't build friendships. It doesn't build work relationships. Bitterness only destroys those things. So bitterness exists because people are entitled and they feel they've been wronged. Um, and the entitlement is a result of their failure. Yeah. So it's because people fail. So we fail, which means we fail and that that's why we're entitled. Mm-hmm. And the entitlement is not fulfilled. So we become bitter. And then we build out of bitterness mm-hmm. because we have to soothe the the bitter tongue, if you will. Like, it, like it, you can't satisfy that taste for um, action. It's 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 an insatiable thing that just you you got to have, and so you you build in the wrong direction and the, for the wrong reasons. Yeah. And it it doesn't just stay local to you. It it affects the generations. Like it affects your neighborhood. It affects your 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 work, it, it, it affects your conversation. It affects the way you talk, who you talk to, what you talk about. Um, it means that you're probably not even making the best stuff that you can make because you're so bound by bitterness and failure that you can't. So you don't even know what it's like to be free. Mm-hmm. You're beholden. And so what do people do? They dig further and then they build new laws and new policies to make it so normative that they're uh, normalizing their bitterness and then people that maybe aren't bitter are now under the oppression of the bitter. Like, it, you know, it's like, it's like a, another way of saying this is to say that we think when we're just at home doing like the guy, I, you know, I work with people back in the day and they're like, I watch pornography. It doesn't affect anybody but me. And, and I went to school in the nineties when people were saying that stuff. And here we are in human trafficking. Mm-hmm. Pornography is so rampant and so pervasive and so dehumanizing and so detrimental that people are being taken off the streets and sold into sex slavery. Mm-hmm. And and you said it didn't it you you didn't you didn't count. Yeah. And this, the person that says that is the same person that often says my vote counts. Mm-hmm. Well, you can't have it both ways. Your life matters or it doesn't. If it does, then what you do at home matters and it has un, it has consequences beyond what you can see always. Mm-hmm. Your absence is a consequence. Your presence is a consequence. So that demands full circle, a moral and an ethic, you know, you know, yeah, man. Mm-hmm. for another way, for another day. But yeah, because I'm glad that you kind of brought it around there because the bitterness in relation to what you think you're owed towards your effort mm-hmm. or like what you think you're owed because whatever effort you've put into should have guaranteed results, but it didn't. So you're bitter. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the framework you're working off of, the axiomatic framework that establishes what you're owed, is also going to establish what you think is happening when failure occurs. Because mm-hmm. yeah. if someone, like, let's just go back to our art history. We love art historians. If you're listening to us and you're a bona fide art historian, we love you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but an art historian may have started out wanting to be an artist. It didn't go so well. Is that failure? Yes. But does that mean, does that failure mean it has to be perceived as something terrible that's happened? Mm -hmm. And that's the thing that I'm sort of sorting through is like, my kid is five, so he fails at a lot of stuff, but it's fine. He's at my house right now. Yeah, he is. Um, (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) uh, Like, it's just fine. Mm-hmm. Like it's okay that he's he's failing to achieve everything. Like when he sits down and he wants to draw a certain image of um, right now it is mongooses fighting snakes. That's it. Um, in his mind, he's succeeding, so he's super super happy. But in the the moments where he he's struggling, like I have to remind him, hey, like it's okay. Yeah. Like you're growing, you're getting better. Um, there's not cosmic consequences for his failure to achieve what he's desiring when he sits down to draw an image. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was my point earlier about the uh, about the uh, um, basketball player missing a shot. It's like it's it, it's local to the game, consequential in mm-hmm. such a way that it, it allows the game to continue. So, yeah, like, but there's referees too. Yeah, but that's that's the, that's the yeah. point. You know, it's like um, there's different things, different types of failures will produce different outcomes with different levels of scope. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And perspective on what's happening will help you process well. And a framework for like what the universe is and what ought to be done, what ought not to be done and what the consequences of failure are in relation to those two things, I think is part of the important thing. Because on one hand we could say, well, the solution to failure is to relativize everything and say, oh no, everything's just a process. Mm-hmm. So every failure is really just a little step towards success. Mm-hmm. There are situations where that is kind of the case. Yeah. But then there's situations where it's not. Well, and because you have yeah. to have a framework that decides what situation is a situation where failure might actually be productive and good and okay, or at the very least inconsequential, versus what types of failures really are consequential and are bad and yeah. destructive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that foundational framework for what you think about the world and who mm-hmm. people are and where we're all going um, will dictate how you answer those questions. Yeah, and I think that gives, I mean, that raises questions like, is it a redemption for failure as yeah. the, for another day? I think the answer is yes, otherwise we wouldn't write so many stories about redemption. Yeah. Or we wouldn't always gravitate towards the redemption stories that have happened that are real and then you know do movie biographies of mm-hmm. a redemption story. Or, so, so there is something about our longing for redemption in that respect. And, and, you know, so when you fail, like to your point, Cody, it's, it's more complex. And so there is a sense where, yeah, like failure is a part of striving. And that's to your point about kids, mm-hmm. you know, like we learn through trial and error. Um, it's the way we perceive our actions and then how deeply. So like if you have an overflated sense of self, then you overinflate the reaction as an equal and opposite. Mm-hmm. Like it's like if I shine light on this can, depending on how close like let's say my my light is coming off of this soda can from the right, or it's a water can, but from the right, and it's a foot away, and the light's a standard, you know, 120 watt bulb. Its radius and intensity is going to hit the can and cast a shadow nearly equal the length on the backside of the light. 
Mm. And so a certain amount of space is covered between both the light, the form and the shadow. Mm -hmm. And it's equal opposite almost. And there's a dissipation on the back end. And that depends on angles and a lot of other stuff, but just follow me. If I get the light closer, then the shadow sometimes will cast it closer. It just depends. Like there's mm -hmm. things that happen. Um, that's kind of like our emotions and our perceptions in response to what's actually happening. Mm. So if we got like high emotion, inflated sense of what's going on over importance, then we over react, overreact because we have to, to maintain the lie. Mm. So we create more damage because we'd rather scorch the earth and admit that we were wrong at conception. Hey, I overestimated myself. Right. That's also though why we like leaders who are humble at times. Like, because we're, we're, there's an internal healing or relief that comes when a leader is like able to say, I overestimated, I'm sorry. Yeah. And, and it's in had capacity so they can course correct. They don't go and burn the earth up the other way. Mm -hmm. Right. Like that's, we'll, we'll come to admire people like that over time and we'll write great things about them. Hey, they, we, we may not like it right in the moment. Whereas we get leaders, maybe like we have now where they are maybe going to scorch the earth. Yeah. Because they've so catastrophically failed at every level. Are you saying that we need some sort of humility, perhaps? I mean, it's, it's yeah. Because so if it's baked into the assumption that you are going to fall short of goals, mm -hmm. possibly very large goals, and that you, you're you living in a world where you see the clothes that you should grow into, but you don't fit them yet, mm -hmm. gives you a space. And then there's probably more, you know, like I always go to things, but like verdict, like you probably need, the, the problem is fundamental and deeper, and that's, again, for yeah, past conversations yeah. and future ones. It's not but really a, soci socially negotiated. But at a minimum, if you always thought, if you knew for sure that walking through this forest, there was always going to be acorns falling on your head, you walk differently because you're anticipating acorns. Sure. And if you had to live there, your culture would be built out of the normative state of acorns falling, mm -hmm. right? So you develop things that anticipate acorns like, you know, uh, coverings and right like it yeah. would constitute the way you situate yourself in the enculturation of your time there it's the same thing here yeah which is which is literally the analogy i'm making with the uh historian maker it's mm -hmm. like if you know that art is hard and you may not be a superstar then you may not overcompensate into like two phds and in energy towards idiosyncratic dialogues that five people attend that you're spending gobs of money driving up the cost of your degree like like getting students to enroll in your idiosyncratic class that they don't realize is actually simply about you being frustrated because you didn't do as much as you thought as a painter yeah. like um then you may actually get some of what you want and be able to rejoice in it with greater humility because you weren't expecting as much. Yeah. And, and so it's a descaling of yourself. It's greater humility to anticipate failure like falling acorns mm -hmm. and then enculturating in anticipation of that, which probably means you need more friends. And like, it's like a lot of things change and you do become smaller and you agree to do less. But the less that you do actually becomes more significant because it's real and in scale of you. Yeah. It's actually it, probably it's a, it's a meal you can eat and not yeah. one that's too big for your eyes. Yeah. It's really interesting. We have, to your point, have made a society that is completely contrary to that to where we don't agree what the state of things is. Yes. We don't have a- and we um, think throwing the rules out more so. Exactly. But see, here's, yeah. this is my point. Let maybe I'll close here. We, we got four minutes. Um, just to say that you brought up sports and I brought up ref referee. This is where I was headed with that. So say what you said again. You said, 
So I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, if you miss a shot, it's local to the consequence of the game. It's, yeah. It's like in terms of uh, the totality of human life, missing a, a shot in basketball is a lower consequence thing. Mm-hmm. So when we so when we abdicate from that perspective, when we abdicate from the perspective, and like you said, right now we're just throwing it all out. And I think there's no rules. Well, that's the weird thing is there is, mm-hmm. but the referees are remote and have, um, we've turned over greater, we've turned over our responsibility, our sovereignty and our control mm-hmm. uh, to parents that are gonna be authoritarian parents that you can't see and they're gonna, they're gonna dictate to you your behavior now. Mm. So that's what our society is doing. The more it fails and the more it admits it failing uh, because it's unwilling to correct towards things that it doesn't want to be associated with because it's too painful to admit I was really, really wrong. Mm-hmm. So then people double down into their failure and they make that the culture but the culture is such a failure, it can't create infrastructure. So in order to exist as a lie, you have to have somebody else come in and build the infrastructure to yeah. support the lie. Yeah. That's what's happening. People with like actual, cause it's like if, if the referees are also throwing out the rules of the game, then it's, you have absolutely nothing. Have but nothing. At, at a certain point, someone is going to impose. Or know. that's a great point, Josh. Or if you have no referees on the court, and so everyone just kind of like mucks around, feeling like they're free to do whatever they want. But then all the games are filmed, shipped off to the real referees who view everything in this sort of distant background sense. And then they dictate from their viewing, oh, this is valid, this is not valid. And then you just kind of get the results mailed out at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. So then you have this weird like, oh, there's always going to be a referee but it's just whether or not their presence is clearly or not clearly known in the middle of the game, yeah. such that the players can actually be responsive yeah, to, in to time, knowledge in time response. and be um, beholden to the rules of the game as it's refereed in real time, or whether or not they're just going to say, well, we prefer to just feel like we're playing basketball yeah. our own way and then kind of get refed on in the back. Yeah. So, yeah, I would say, I'd say like a, a way of saying what you just said, like outside of the context of the game would be to say you take personal responsibility because like, you know, because what you're describing is like the presence of authority mm-hmm. at the localized level uh, allows for greater accountability of a kind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so you take responsibility. So if you can govern yourself, then you don't have to be governed by other people, but according, so this is according the, to what, according to what standard, what standard it comes back to that. Yeah. So, so without getting into the standard at a minimum, what, what, what I'm saying is like, when you fail, you take responsibility. Mm. So that's what you should do. Yeah. You take responsibility for it, which means you have to take, like if you, if you failed the bills and you accrued uh, interest on a, you know, like you got to pay an extra percentage, right? Well, you take responsibility because you agreed, you agreed to something you didn't do and what came with it was responsibility if then. Mm-hmm. So then you take responsibility. You gotta work an extra job to pay this off, like whatever yeah. it is, right? And if someone shows you a kindness, then you receive it as, an, as a kindness, not an entitlement. Right. So there's a clarity on how you orient towards the myriad of ways it could go. But what's chief and foremost is I take responsibility for it. Right. So that, caught, that taking responsibility means I gotta go back and look at what are my assumptions? What are my behavioral patterns? Like, yeah. I mean, there's more, like I said, I'm, you know, I operate out of a, a belief system and a spiritual worldview, but so I'm not giving the full brunt of what I mean. Yeah. But at a minimum, at a minimum, we are in a society that does not uh, the the ruling voices do not take responsibility. Yeah. They abdicate, blame shift, and continue. And so, like 
it continues the demolition and implosion. Right. I was going to say it's like it like taking responsibility is potentially painful. So yes. like in the job example or rather in the uh, accruing debt example, like you will have to sweat to pay it off. Yep. That is going to be difficult, but it's the only general yeah. events. Like responsibility is actually the only general event yeah. in that case. And the consequences are are effective in this life. And so we've tried to live a vicarious life, a video game life where yeah. you reset the game and you don't actually experience consequences. You, you experience a minimal restart or reset. Mm -hmm. But in reality, you're not given that. So if you have an overestimated sense of yourself and then you include consequences and you can't scale down to actually see who you really are, then you're you're not gonna be able to sacrifice the bigness of the way you perceive things. Mm -hmm. Cause it's just, it's like, it's too difficult to live with. I thought too highly of myself yeah. and all my dreams are shattered. And what I'm left with is something that I took for granted mm -hmm. that I didn't think was important. And the only way I can get through this is to see it for what it is. And that's painful Yeah, because all I'm doing is turning from what I inflated and made ultimately important. And I'm turning to that which is, and that which is, is hard for me to scale down to. Mm -hmm. Or it's hard for me to reconcile the fact that I'm actually scaled to it properly, but I don't want it to be that way. I want to think of myself as greater, it's bigger. And, yeah. and that's a dying to self. Yeah, we need, we, I feel like we need help to see those things. Yeah, you have to die to yourself. That's a weird thing. It's like, yeah. oh, I'm not what I thought I was, right? And now, if you can like take up your cross or and walk daily, then you can kind of, um, it's like getting a, it's like if you've been driving a train across the country and you've normal, it's like a bullet train. So you've normalized getting across the country in six hours, let's pretend. Mm -hmm. And so your view of everything is shaped by a window going, you know, mock whatever. And so your whole perspective on how to care for the world you're traversing is built out of your normative experience of seeing images of the world going that fast. You are disconnected from that world. Yeah you're only connected to the, the motion of that train. And so then the only way to start to really <laughs> downsize is to get off the train and mm -hmm. get, a, get in a car, drive across a few times, get off the car and walk, and then yeah. realize you can't walk across, you were never supposed to. Word, yeah. Now I need to know someone else that's a little further down. Now you're becoming local. Mm -hmm. And now I'm seeing more intimately and it's changing completely my perspective on what my responsibility is and what I what I'm to care for. Word. Anyhow, cool. I think that's a good place to end for I now. So yeah. yeah. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you listen to that crazy conversation, um, <laughs> thanks for um, Jay No showing up. Yeah. Jay knows a lot. So you always took Jay No as No, but what I didn't tell you was there was a silent. It was J K N O W means Jay No. Jay knows. Yeah. See, man, I left that. Mind. Full, for a circle. See, we, we we let you feel bad only to leave you feeling good. See, I, I interpreted JKNOW as joke now. Yeah. <laughs> I got and on that note, Cody didn't Cody didn't clarify. Gareth, we need a new tune for yeah. that. <laughs> oh no. No. <laughs> and on that note, we'll see you next time. You've been listening to Shaco Art Speak, a production of Shaco Art Space. We are an independent, nonprofit art gallery in Richmond, Virginia. We can be found online at shacoartspace.com and in real life in historic Shaco Bottle. <laughs>